0: This is the Trey Blocker Show, starring Charlie Hodge and Trey Blocker. And now, here's Trey Blocker. Hello, everyone,
1: and welcome to the Trey Blocker Show. We are in Tyler, Texas today with Joanne Fleming. Uh, Joanne has been a leader in the constitutional conservative movement for over 25 years, She currently serves as the executive director of Grassroots America, We the People, the largest constitutional conservative organization in East Texas and one of the largest in the state. Joanne is a self-retired county commissioner, a sought-after public speaker, a political advisor, a guest political analyst for local media, and a frequent contributor to state and national political commentary. So, Joanne, thanks for coming on the Trey Blocker Show.
0: Well, thank you for having me. And I'm thanks, thrilled to do it.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. in Tyler, it's been a while since I've been out this way, and things have changed a little bit.
0: It is a beautiful city. It really and, is. And uh, very conservative. I know sometimes I, I tease my Tarrant County friends. They claim <laughs> that they are the reddest uh, county in Texas and, you know, um, Smith County's not a pale shade of pink, I should you. <laughs> I,
1: I, I don't doubt it. Speaking of pink, Tyler is known as the Rose Capital of America. I don't know right. if I don't know if people realize yes. that. Why is that?
0: Because we have a beautiful uh, rose garden, but because we have so many rose growers here.
1: Okay, yes, so it's, it's not ship- because of Earl Campbell.
0: No, <laughs> but you know everybody loves Earl Campbell too. That's right, so. that's right. But uh, but no, we have a wonderful rose garden downtown, and, and there are many rose uh, growers okay. uh, still left in Smith County that ship roses everywhere. And um, you know those are entrepreneurs that work very very hard, and most of them are family businesses. And so um, you know they just are part of the fabric of Smith County.
1: So if what time of year should I come back to Tyler if I want to see a bunch of roses out?
0: Well, now I will tell you that gardening is not my forte, but I, I believe that they I believe that they bloom in the spring of many of the varieties bloom in the spring, but also in October.
1: Ah, okay, so they are two seasons. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll have to make a trip back. And most people probably also are unaware that Tyler, Texas, is named after our tenth president of the of the United States, John Tyler. That's right. So I'm glad we can help educate some people today. In fact, I think we're going to educate people on a lot of issues today. So you are not originally from East Texas. You were born in Colleen, right?
0: That's right. When my dad was in basic training at Fort Hood, uh, my mother, of course, went with him.
1: Good. And
0: so I was, uh, I was born in Colleen.
1: Okay, so you told me before we got started on the show that you are the only native Texan in your family.
0: That's right. So so I think sometimes, you know, from time to time, a a family member will say, you know, that's why she's so hard-headed and independent because she's a Texan. (laughs) And so I I proudly claim that.
1: So does it give everyone else a little bit of an inferiority complex when you're around?
0: I try to be kind to my family members and not make them feel. Feel feel less uh, because they're not Texans. Well, you know,
1: uh, they can't help it, right? They can't help it.
0: That's right, that's
1: right. So what, um, you know, you were very politically active and involved and influential in statewide politics here in Texas, and, and I would say probably across the country. So what was it that first got you involved in politics and interested in public policy?
0: Well, it's probably going to amaze uh, people that don't know me very well. It, it's actually a very simple story. Um, my husband um, was transferred here in 1992. Um, he retired from an international oil and gas uh, service company two years ago, 40 years with the company. But he was transferred whenever there was a dip, a downward cycle in the oil and gas business. Right and uh, in the early 90s and so we ended up over here and at that time i had a three-year-old didn't have any family here didn't have any friends here and it was one of those experiences the husband is working 16-hour days i'm having to do all the unpacking and putting Mm -hmm. things in the home you know you just start kind of feeling sorry for yourself (laughs) right And I remember one day I was sitting in a closet, literally on the floor, taking things out of a box. And I said, out loud, Lord, (laughs) I know that there has to be a reason that we are here that goes beyond just the mister's job. You must have something (laughs) for me to do. Right, right. And so whatever it is, I am ready to do it. Show me what to do. And so I think it was just a few weeks later I went to an Eagle Forum, a local Eagle Forum meeting, and the local leader was talking about education. And, you know, I had been spending my time in my, you know, my late teens and 20s going to college, getting a degree in business, which at that time there were not very many women getting degrees in business. Sure. Um, most of my female, uh, colleagues, you know, in the classroom were fashion merchandising people (laughs) and I was one of the hardcore business people, you know, so it was, it was a different time. So I was focused on that, focused on a career, not thinking about what was happening in education, but I came to understand and having a three year old, you know, I, I was starting to think about education because education for our family was very important, my dad always said, You know, because I was the oldest in the family and then followed a sister and a brother. But he always told the two girls, you need to get your education and you need to be, Mm -hmm. you you know, you will hope that when you marry, it will last forever. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes something happens to the husband, they die early, whatever. But you need to be able to take care of yourself. Personal responsibility. There you go. So I had not paid attention to education, and when I went to that first meeting and they started talking about it, I was going, what has happened here? While I was doing something else, education has apparently fallen off the cliff. They don't think that they should teach kids spelling or to read the way I was taught to read. And so from that first meeting, uh, we then, you know, in a couple of months, we were talking about uh, someone running for the State Board of Education. Mm I got involved with that campaign a little bit, and it just sort of took off from there. And, and the, the next 25 years has been a blur.
1: <laughs> I bet. I bet. Well, before we get too much into that, I, I've always gotten some really good stories out of, out of folks that I interview when I ask them how they met their spouse. So how did you meet your husband?
0: Uh, it was the, we were high school sweethearts. He was okay. a senior. I was a freshman. And he's actually the first boy I ever dated. Oh, wow. Yes. Very impressive. And um, he scared me to death. He was a football player. And I'm just like, when I certainly wasn't a cheerleader, I was like the most likely to succeed and the head of the class and the valedictorian, that sort of thing. And so he, um, you know, we we just, I noticed this guy started watching me and following me around everywhere. So he was stalking you. He was stalking me. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, so in, in, you know what, he's my best friend in the whole entire world and you know it's one of those things that I am so proud to say that after 38 years I know that I know today uh, more than I even did back the day that I married him that God made him for me because heaven knows people, people that know me know <laughs> that there there could be only one man that would put up with me that's, and, that's and it's him and he's always supported everything that I do. He, you know he said to me the first campaign that I actually ran on my own was a school board race okay. uh, for a, an outstanding candidate and we lost by 25 votes and I thought my life ended because we sure. had worked so hard and I was just feeling really sorry for myself the next day my husband said, you might as well get up and just move on, figure out what you might have learned from the experience because I think God is gonna have you doing this for a very long time.
1: Sure, sure. So, so what what made you want to run for county commissioner when you decided to do that?
0: Well, we had, um, I have a very good friend that was the first female county commissioner in Smith County, and I had actually okay. helped her back in the, mid, in the mid-90s uh, run her campaign. She beat a 16-year incumbent that oh, well. had a ton of money, a ton of name recognition, and was, was one of the good old boys. Mm-hmm. And so Sharon decided that she would take him on, and we worked really hard. I mean, we walked in the summer, in the heat of summer, (laughs) in the fall. We walked when it was snowing and sleeting that winter before the primary, and she won. Um, She won re-election, and because she said she would only serve two terms. She term-limited herself. Good. Uh, And in the course of that her second term, we ran the first female for county judge, Okay. and beat a long-time incumbent oh, same wow. way. It was very much a David and Goliath race. And my friend Becky Dempsey won, county judge. And so it was in that period of time they were saying, well, you know, we need somebody to continue what Sharon has started in the way of county government reforms. And because I knew county government backwards and forwards knew what needed to be done, um, so I ran and, um, and won that race. And so continued some of the reforms. So it sure. was about reforming local government.
1: Right. So you mentioned a second ago uh, that moment that you had where you asked God what your purpose mm-hmm. was. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of us asked that question, mm-hmm. uh, if not once a thousand times you know, in, our, in our lifetimes and, and, and some, sometimes we get the answer, uh, that we need, and, and hopefully we all get the answer that we need at some point. So, But it makes me wonder about a question. He led you to politics.
0: Well, I will say this, that um, that's not a question that I ask once. Um, that is a question I, I, I seek what the Lord would have me to do on a regular basis because there is an element uh, to politics to a successful campaign that if you like it, you understand it and you are successful at it, then you can get to the point. That is something that you're, you, to say in the, to people who understand what I mean, the flesh loves that. Right. You love the victory of it, you love being successful. And so, but, you know, the prayer of my heart has always been that I would stay in this mm-hmm. as long as uh, God was going to bless it sure and that i would use the gifts and talents that he's given me for good right that's why i've been asked i have i've had lobbyists i've had consultants try to hire me through the years to even go to washington dc i have never i've never been a hired gun right because i don't have i don't i've never First of all, I'm very, very independent, and I like to be able to. <laughs> I think we got up, that impression. <laughs> I like to pick up my keys and get in my truck and leave if I need to. Right. Okay. Right. So it is not something that I, I ever felt comfortable with going and being a paid consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, what I try to do is for grassroots people, I try to add value to them and explain to them how they can be empowered right. to have a voice in their own government and that actually you hire elected officials at the ballot box, you hire them to do a job, and it is absolutely okay for you to get in a mindset, well, if they're not doing the job, it is appropriate for me to fire them at the ballot box the next time. Right. So, and also with elected officials, um, you know, to be a confidant, to to earn, you have to earn uh. The ability to lead, the right to lead. You have to earn the credibility to be a confidant and to be discreet with things that elected officials share with you, um, if they're trying, if they're wrestling with a decision, and you you try you have their back, but at mm-hmm. the same time you're not a buddy, right? Because this is another one of my classic sayings. I've been married to the same man for 38 years, everybody else is subject to recall. (laughs) That means if I have endorsed you, or uh, personally, or if my organization has endorsed you, that is not a lifelong commitment.
1: Right, of course.
0: You have to earn (laughs) that endorsement by the way you conduct yourself in office, the way you treat your constituents, and if you deliver on what you said you would do.
1: Sure. Well, and not only, as you said, is it uh, our right to fire someone who is not doing their job Mm -hmm. in elected office, it's our duty as citizens of this country and this state to pay attention, make sure they're doing what they said they were going to do, and if they're not, to recall them, to fire them, to send them home and replace them with someone who will.
0: Right, and it's a reasonable expectation that if somebody, you know, as I say, somebody blows through your town and says, Hi, I'm here to be elected to XYZ, and I'm going to be the best at it that you've ever seen, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. Well, of course, we know that people overpromise. Because in many times they cannot possibly deliver on all of that because they don't have the unilateral ability to just wave a magic wand or to sign an edict saying this is the change that's going to happen. That's not the way it works. But they should have the ability to bring people along with them and to convince them. That goes back to taking the abstract principles of limited government first principles of conservatism and being able to translate those abstract principles into concrete policy and legislation and to be able to look at solving a problem based on a couple of things here. Should government be trying to solve this problem?
1: That's a good first question.
0: And if it's within the purview of government, the statutory, the constitutional purview of that particular level of government to do it, then what is the most conservative limited government way? to go about doing that and what is the cost of it, both long-term and short-term? Right. What are the costs? Right. And so, you know, when you, when you try to steer elected officials in that direction, there comes a time when you have to have probably a public disagreement. Mm-hmm. My philosophy is I don't have a public disagreement with an elected official until we've talked about it privately. Right. There's no clothes lining in public. Sure. Unless you have just started out, before I ever got here, you just started out being a bad actor. <laughs> you have such a reputation that, and you know, and there are some currently at play in Austin, um, that, you know, there's no talking to them. Right. So, uh, because other people have tried and so they've just determined that they're going to be, as I've come to term them, rhinocrats and they're not conservative. They run as conservatives, but they aren't. And so, you know, my brand is conservatism, constitutional conservatism. So that's the measuring stick. I try to, I use with everybody and don't make allowances for friends because when you make allowances for friends, that's when your credibility collapses.
1: So for uh, our listening audience who doesn't fully understand or comprehend or appreciate the term constitutional Mm -hmm. conservative. Would you define that for them please?
0: Yes that is um, when you're looking at the federal level that is limited government based on what the constitution, what should be the measuring stick. Now I know that's terribly old fashioned (laughs) uh, to really believe in limited government but I do. Right. And, and, uh, And to be rule of law because You know, the rule of law is not a menu off of which an elected official should pick and choose those laws that they will support based on whether or not their largest donors support that application of the law, who it's being applied to, if it's trendy, if it's acceptable. I mean, you know, when you take the oath of office, there's not this little disclaimer at the bottom that has an asterisk that says, I will uphold my oath of office unless it's politically challenging to do so. So you know, constitutional conservatism then when you move to the state level, what authority does the state have? Is it within the core functions of state government and the state constitution for state government to be dealing with this issue at all? Right. So it's the state staying in its lane, the federal government staying in its lane, and at the local level, so now here's another thing. People are all upset about state government trying to tell local government, but local government was created.
1: Exactly.
0: By state government. So when people talk about local control, they are talking about we, the people. So when local government becomes tyrannical, when it no longer recognizes private property rights, when it believes that only they can determine how you should spend your money, hmm then it is time for the state to say, whoa, we need to give local constituents the authority to rein in local government. That's right. And, you know, I'm old-fashioned about this. I think an individual that's paying property taxes and paying sales taxes into local government has the right and should have the authority to tell local government when you've gone out of bounds with your spending.
1: Absolutely. I think
0: we should be able to say, look, I don't want to spend this much on on, uh, local government. And if you have the right elected officials at the local level, they will be able to articulate to the people what they need this additional funding for. So if they don't have a reputation of spending like drunken sailors, and doing all kinds of crazy, nutty things that they shouldn't be doing, then they will have the credibility to go to the people and say, we need this additional funding. Right. But please don't tell everybody, the world's going to come to an end, we will have to fire all the local police and firemen <laughs> if you do this thing. That is crazy. Right. People have sense enough to know the services that they, that they require from local government and how much that should
1: Well, and there wouldn't be all of this debate and all of this hand-wringing from local elected officials about the state trying to put them back in their place if they were serving their core functions and not trying to run everyone's lives.
0: That's right. That's that's right. They've
1: gotten a little bit out of hand and out of touch, for sure. So as I mentioned uh, when we started, you are the Executive Director of Grassroots America, We the People. how did this organization get started and, and tell us about its core mission
0: well back in 2009 I had uh self retired and uh, from County Commissioner and I thought I was going to lead just a regular ordinary life I was going to go home and do some things you know remodel my house and things <laughs> like that that ordinary people do and um, by the by February of 2009 there was a group of local business people who said, who asked me to come to a meeting. They said, we believe that the country is headed in the wrong direction. We believe government in general is just headed in the the wrong direction. Right. So we want to know if you will come help us. Will you help, will you lead this? And so over a series of meetings and telling them how, because of my experience, I had already been uh, a leader, a president, vice president and president of a taxpayers association mm-hmm. here back in the early 90s. And um, so I knew things that you have to do to stay within the bounds of ethics. And so I recommended that we form as a pack because I simply am not going to be in front of a group of people uh, at every juncture trying to determine if I'm educating. Right.
1: <laughs> Right. <laughs> or
0: if I'm advocating. And so we're a pack because okay. we're trying to make sure that Joanne's mouth is legal. <laughs> what I say because I'm simply not going to be splitting hairs over educating and advocating. I'm right. just not going to do that. Well, we're always advocating. Right? Yes. So. so.
1: Okay. And so I noticed when I was looking at your website, it says the mission of the organization is to advance the cause of liberty Mm -hmm. as rooted in limited government, which we've talked about, Mm -hmm. personal responsibility, which people seem to forget about these days, uh, good citizenship, defense of traditional family values, which is constantly under attack these days, and, and the free market system, and a return to the U.S. Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And so one thing that amazes me uh, when, it, when I read something, a mission statement like this, it's common sense. It's, it it's what this country was founded upon, uh, yet we've gotten so far away from it that people seem to have lost touch and forgotten. And, and what I've noticed Uh, especially spending time in in Travis County where I reside and people who, Mm -hmm. when I'm around the professional political class, uh, whether that be lobbyists or elected officials, uh, there is this notion that grassroots organizations around the state, uh, Tea Party or whatever you want to call them, are these right-wing extremists who are out of touch and just a bunch of crazy people. And then I read something like this, mm-hmm. and it's something that they should all believe in. And I'm not sure where the disconnect is.
0: Well, you know, um, I like to say uh, when, when I address people, uh, when we talk about just the surface realm of politics, there's too much of this Democrats bad, Republicans always good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay? Um, you have to dig deeper than that. Just because someone, if you're a conservative, if you say I'm a conservative in the way I live my life, in the way I want government to perform its constitutional responsibilities, then you, you have to go a little bit deeper and you have to define, well, what does conservatism mean? Conservatism is not simply having an R after one's political title. That's right. Uh, because, for example, free market, you know, free market is one of those words that all politicians like to throw around, but whenever you really start to dig deep into what free markets are, you know, that's based on the idea that cent- that there should be no, no central planning of the economy and picking winners and losers, Mm -hmm. no thumb on the scale for anybody. And, you know, Republicans are, you know, by and large are just as bad about doing, in fact, worse than most Democrats on that. And it gets into the elements of corporate welfare Mm -hmm. and picking winners and losers, thinking that you can redistribute wealth based on we're doing this to improve the economy, picking winners and losers. And so you have to go back And you have to define what these words mean, what free market really means. Right. And, um, you know, because there's an element of people that are longtime politicians in the Republican Party, both in Washington and in Austin, Texas, that um, they like big government as long as they can be in charge of it.
1: That's exactly right.
0: And so that's why they don't like true limited government people in the Tea Party, people that are conservatives that can articulate those limited government principles and apply them to what the politicians are doing. Mm-hmm. They really hate that.
1: Oh, They hate accountability.
0: Oh, oh, absolutely.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, I, I notice you also do a lot of speaking around the state as part of the Life, Liberty, and Property Tour. So what, what is that coalition of groups about?
0: Well, we... Um, it is uh, some, some names that most people that know about Texas politics would, uh, would be acquainted with, Texas Right to Life, uh, Texas Eagle Forum, mm-hmm. Concerned Women of America, um, Empower Texans, Texas Homeschool Coalition, Texas Values. So we just decided that we were, you know, we're people who had like interest, like core principles, And so we, from time to time, we'll go out and we will all get together and we will take a few minutes to each talk about maybe a specific niche of ours uh, to talk about legislation, talk about size up a legislative session, how successful do we think it was, Mm -hmm. was it in the best interest of the people of Texas or was it not. And we generally, we name names, yes we do. Good. And um, so, and and it's to educate folks because what I've come to, we've all come to understand is that in in many communities, the news media, it may be a a limited market and the limited market may not give a whole lot of in-depth reporting on what happens in Austin. So we've Mm -hmm. made it our mission that what happens in Austin does not stay in Austin. Sure. So we go out and try to inform the people and, and do it in a factual way. Good. You know, I always tell people, there, there are some bad actors in government. You don't have to make up any anything about them because the way they behave is bad enough. That's right. So, you know, we're very careful to source what we say and okay. to prove it with record votes. Right. Action or inaction. And uh, so that's just been a really good way to bring information out to, to folks um, to, to help them understand that there are some credible sources to get information about politics and about, you know, accountability, scorecards, a variety of scorecards mm-hmm. on your elected officials so that you can ask them some intelligent questions about right. what they did or did not do.
1: Well, unfortunately, in the age of fake news and an extremely left-wing, biased media, people don't always know where to go for the facts. So it's good that you're providing them that. Uh, So, you know, I hate to talk about a dirty subject, Mm -hmm. but we got seven days left in a special legislative session. (laughs) And as we sit here, you're shaking your head and I'm shaking my head. Uh, Seven days left. By the time this episode airs, it will probably be over and as of today not a single item of the governor's 20 items on the call have reached his desk so give me your thoughts on this special session
0: well i will say on the senate side the senate uh, came back to austin Uh, lieutenant dan as i call him lieutenant dan (laughs) and the senators did what they said they would do. Now, you know, I'm I'm disappointed that we don't yet um, have a limit on local government spending out of the Senate, but, you know, if we don't have the votes to pass that on the Senate side, that simply says to the people we've got some more work to do and it could be we need to to retire a senator or two to get to that or or do some more convincing and some persuading on that issue. Uh, So on the House side, the House is the problem. Now, House leadership, and and I'm I'm not going to focus just on Joe Strauss. Joe Strauss is a problem, but there are a lot of people that have a responsibility for the failure of the House because it is the responsibility of every committee chair to move bills out of committees. I don't recall anybody ever running for office saying, it is my role in life. To prohibit anything that I that that I personally don't like, I'm going to make sure it gets locked up in committee so that nobody has to vote on it. Right. Uh, they they are not there to provide political cover for their peers. The debates may be fierce and they often are, but debate is good. Right. For a representative republic, and you will notice I did not say democracy. Correct. Right. Representative republic, it is good for us to have civil but strong debate on on the issues of the day. And I believe the people of Texas deserve an up or down vote on the floor of the Texas House on every one of these issues. Absolutely. And failure to do it on even one is utterly ridiculous. And so today we had some news that came out that the House Calendars Committee um, have this rule now that they want the House to vote on that there will be no amendments whatsoever from the House on Senate Bill 1 on the property tax reform bill. So what that means is they are fine with having people in certain population of certain populations they don't get to have the same benefits of property tax reform that people that are in the metro areas do. And I have to tell you that, that did, it, didn't, it didn't go over well when it came out of the Senate, and it's not going to go over well if the House decides they're going to uphold that and there's not going to be any amendments to it. I mean, that's ridiculous.
1: Sure, so let's, let's make sure the audience understands what we're talking about here. The, when a bill comes out of committee... Uh, in the House, it goes to the Calendars Committee mm-hmm. to get set, or not set, right. for floor debate. A lot right. of bills die in the, in the Calendars right. Committee. So this property tax reform bill has been set for floor debate. The Calendars Committee has said there will be no amendments. No, no amendments will be allowed mm-hmm. on this piece of legislation. So what that effectively means is that out of 150 elected legislators, nine people, the people who sat on that committee that voted the bill out, get to dictate to the entire House what that bill is going to look like.
0: That's right, that's correct, that's why I'm saying. Joe Strauss is bad of an actor as he has been to thwart. Now I want to I want to define this. Je- I don't know Joe Strauss personally. He may be a great guy to play golf with, I don't know, play poker with, have a cup of coffee with. He sure. may be. But as far as advancing the core conservative principles and government reforms that are clearly laid out in this Texas Republican Party platform, he has acted as a lead, ring leader to roadblock those, he and Byron Cook and Charlie Guerin and, and a bunch of assorted actors down there have. And so now you've got committee members who've decided they're going to fall in line with that. And so let me, let me bring back to another person that we have started talking about, and that is chairman of the House Republican Caucus, Tan Parker. Mr. Parker wanted that leadership position. Well, leaders need to lead. You don't just simply dutifully go along with something if it's bad for the people. Right. So as the caucus leader, at the very minimum, we expect Mr. Parker to say, wait a minute, nine people don't get to dictate what a bill is going to look like when it comes out on the floor. Sure. We need to have debate and amendments, and we need to debate those amendments, and we need to reject them one by one or vote them up or down. Right. And so it's, um, you know, I think the people of Texas, uh, we are, we've turned a corner since 2009. We, we, I have seen people become more and more and more informed about state government because here's the problem. People in state government often like to point to Washington to go, <laughs> you, there is nothing to see here. You just keep looking at the Washington cartel, the D.C. swamp, those are the bad, it's but their here fault. in Texas, right. we, we've got the greatest economy, We've everything's good in Texas, and by golly, we're all conservative Republicans, so there's nothing left to say. Right. That is the big Texas fairy tale. And, and I will tell you that the conservative grassroots have done an amazing job of peeling back that false cover on that fairy tale, and we're getting to the heart of the matter on a district-by-district basis. And this year, we worked very hard to put together a coalition of leaders. We are The Coalition of Texas Conservative Leaders. Now, this is a combination of statewide organizations SRECs, State Republican Executive Committee members, uh, Republican County Chairs, Republican Club Presidents, Tea Party leaders, okay. 912 leaders are coming together as a coalition on an issue by issue basis to issue statements, to issue letters, I can tell you using the coalition method is how we killed the Buffett Bill right. in the Senate. Right. And we've done, under the, and the coalition has grown 78% since January. We are, what we are trying to do with Grassroots America is to work with some of the other Tea Party and grassroots leaders to say, we need to unite around principles, not around any one leader, not around any one politician, but around principles and use that same measuring stick for everybody that comes before us and wants us to hire them at the ballot box.
1: Sure. Uh, That's incredible. So, granted, a lot of things can happen in seven days Mm -hmm. in the legislature, so I, I suspect there will at least be a couple or a handful of bills that make it to the governor's desk. Under what circumstances would you think it would be proper for the governor to call them back for a second special session?
0: Well, I would not presume to try to tell the governor what to do. I, I, I will just say this, that he, he, um, Governor Abbott, if you go back and watch the press conference where he called the special session, you know, Governor Abbott doesn't like special sessions. He he really believes, you know, Governor Perry was, I mean, <laughs> if they didn't behave, he was going to call them right, back. Right. And he would sometimes call them back a second time. That's right. And Governor Abbott has said, you know, you need to go back home and explain to your constituents why you couldn't get the job done. Sure. But but this past session was so egregious on so many different, you know, his initiatives that just did not get well. And let's not even call them Governor Abbott's initiatives. People have been clamoring for property tax reform, mm-hmm. and by the way, we need to get school taxes in there too. Um, but you know, on property tax reform, on religious liberty issues. On constitutional carry a variety of issues of the people of Texas have asked for for a very long time and you know you, you can say whenever some of these initiatives are put on Republican primary ballots as You know, propositions, non-binding propositions that people vote, yo, yes, I want this or I want that. Well, overwhelmingly, these pass with over 90% of the vote of the people. So these are things that people have been asking for. For years. For years and years and years, and so you can't get them done. So, you know, um, Governor Abbott, I I would say that if he were to call, and I would support him if he called for a second special session, I would say winnow the list down. Mm Mm-hmm. The house seems not to be able to get their work done because you know why? Because they saunter into the house floor at two o'clock in the afternoon. They come in on Tuesday instead of a Monday. Those committees have plenty of time to work. They do not work. In fact, this past weekend, on Friday, there was no floor action, there was no there were no committee meetings. So you go through the weekend. Calendars was the only committee, house committee that met all weekend. Right. They have plenty of time to do the work, they just don't want to. So we're there's, going, there's a coming clash, there's a tipping point. We are nearing a tipping point.
1: Right. So I'm glad you said that because it, uh, it brings me to my next question, and I can hear the frustration in your mm-hmm. voice. And the average Texan, and the average American for that matter, is extremely frustrated. You are very politically involved, but for the average Texan who's frustrated uh, but not politically involved, what would you suggest they do? How do they get involved?
0: Well, I, you know, any of the organizations that I've missed here that were in the Life, Liberty, and Property um, um, tour group, I, I would say this that y- you should go and look at a variety of conservative organizations. For example, if you are more focused on fiscal issues, you know, uh, Grassroots America and Power of Texans, uh, Texas Public Policy Foundation, I mean, they're not, you know, they're the think tank. Sure. Go and look at their policy solutions and then just grab some of those policy solutions on fiscal matters that make sense to you. And, and educate yourself and then call your elected officials right. write your elected officials and tell them I need to have a conversation with you about this right Join with like-minded people in your community. If you are focused on on traditional values on on pro-life issues, of course all of us are involved in it but if I'm gonna go to somebody some people who are leading correctly on pro-life issues, I always go to Texas right to life okay? And Texas Right to Life has good information to educate you. If it's on, you know, if it's on Second Amendment, if it's on gun rights, um, there are several great organizations, uh, Texas Gun Rights Association, there, there are several organizations that you can gather. So I always tell people, look, you can very quickly be just overwhelmed. <laughs> I, I, you know, That's true. When I go and speak to groups, I say, look, don't try to know... The things that I know, don't try to do it the way I do it because most people don't devote more than 40 hours a week to policy and not be paid for it. So, you know, so don't try to do that. Pick what you are passionate about. Mm -hmm. Pick what you really, really care about, what your gut, your heart tells you that you are passionate about, that you care about and become a subject matter expert. And I will tell you, it doesn't take you very long In many cases, and I don't mean to sound snobbish about this, (laughs) but I have seen some very, very, very educated, regular Joe and Janes on the street that knew a heck of a lot lot more about policy than the politicians in charge of it. Sure. Sure. So they should be very informed. And so there's a variety of of ways that you can become informed. And just get in. Just, you know, you don't have to do it full-time, but just come join the Texas Grassroots Army. Show up. Show up.
1: That's the first step. Show
0: up, speak up, because if you speak, if you don't speak up, they can't hear you. And silence to a politician equals approval.
1: Exactly. Is that your quote? (laughs) Because that was great. (laughs) (laughs) Not not my quote. Well, well, we are quickly running out of time. Uh, Joanna, first of all, I want to say thank you for your passion. I, I am glad that the good Lord has called you to, to be involved in politics and, and to hold, hold our elected officials responsible. Um, so, as you know, it, it's our tradition on the Trey Blocker Show to end with a quote, some words of wisdom, a Bible verse, something that uh, will be some good instruction for our audience. So, what would you like to share Well, I have today?
0: to say that it's, it's very, very hard to pick uh, even one thing, um, out of scripture, but I would say Psalm 1914, let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you are my strength and my redeemer, because I will tell you that no matter how we go about articulating our principles and our values, if we don't do it in the right way at the right time for the right reason, we won't be successful.
1: Joanne, thank you for coming on the Trey Blocker Show. I hope we can have you back again sometime.
0: I'd love to. Thanks,
1: Trey. Thank you.
0: This has been the Trey Blocker Show. If you like what you heard, please visit TreyBlocker.com for more episodes and a chance to donate and support the show. Thank you for listening.